0: No way you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. I was blind, but these eyes have been open. Now I walk in the light. Every step on this road I will follow, Jesus, you made was recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead Pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. only happy to be in God's house. It's a house of uh, change. We come to be changed, we come to be transformed. We don't just come to hang out. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, uh, I thought it was interesting, as, as Gary shared, that even in the area of giving, he said that he would hear me preaching or teaching or compelling people to give, and he said he'd be ignoring me and ignoring God and, and not listening, and then I watch him up here compelling the rest of us to give, and it just reminds me that we come to change. You know, that, to me, that wasn't a, a man regurgitating something he's heard somebody else say. That was a man that's been changed in that area, encouraging others to be changed in that area. Amen? Amen. So that's why I come to church. That's why I still come to church. I know that you guys listen to me preach, but uh, I'm receiving the word as well. And I know that there's areas where God still needs to change and shape and mold me. I want to encourage you guys to stick around long enough to see people change. Amen and then glorify God for seeing people change. You know, we heard Connie, we heard Steve talk about what they're thankful for. I'm thankful that I go to a church where if you stick around long enough, you see lives changed. I'm thankful that if you stick around long enough, somebody will tell you, you've changed. Man, it's a special thing when somebody comes up to you and says, man, you're different. Hey sis, I remember what it was like when I first met you and you're different. Hey brother, I remember the first men's discipleship that we went to and you're different. So uh, I think it's fitting for the message that I'm going to share with you guys. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Matthew chapter 9. We're still in our series, uh, the King and the Cross, the Cross and the King, looking through the uh, gospel of Matthew at Jesus and looking at the kingdom, looking at the cross. Um, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through verse 38, the end of the chapter here as we get started. It says that, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Say compassion. Compassion. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. Ty, the message this morning is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. We're going to have a lot to talk about. We're going to be challenged, hopefully, this morning. I, I pray that you'd also be encouraged. It says in verse 35 here of chapter 9 that Jesus went into the cities. Jesus went into the communities. He went into the local churches, the synagogues. And it says that he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When we begin to look at what is it that Jesus came to do, what is it that Jesus was doing when he was here on the earth, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 36 says that when he saw the people, he was moved with compassion. The people were weary, the people were scattered. How does God want to see you and I? He wants to see us strong, not weary. Somebody say amen. Amen. When you come into the church, are you strong? Are you energized? Are you excited? Are you happy about life? Are you blessed? Or are you weary? Jesus says that he would go into the cities, into the communities, into the churches, and he was heartbroken because everybody was broken and weary and tired says, I got to do something about this. He was moved with compassion. He says that they were scattered rather than united. When you look at your life within the church, when you look at your life with other believers, I love that that May said, we didn't want to come back down. We wanted to be together. We wanted to hang out. We wanted to stay upstairs in the game room. Are you united that way with other brothers and sisters in Christ where you can't, you can't go long periods of time being away from them, being scattered, being divided, being isolated. Jesus says that when he saw that he was heartbroken and he was moved with compassion he connected that to them being like sheep without a shepherd being disconnected so he's preaching this gospel of the kingdom he's healing people but at the same time he's heartbroken over their current condition what it looks like when he looks at their lives so when you look at the lord he had this purpose right? There's something that he came to do. He wanted to preach this message. He wanted to prepare people for the coming kingdom. But then there was also something that he couldn't stop himself from doing, which was changing people's lives and blessing them. I think that uh, kingdoms are a reflection of the heart and the desires of their king. They're a reflection of his character, right? So you can look at any country, any kingdom and they look like their presidents or they look like their king. They look like whoever's in authority. What that person desires is what the country looks like. How that person looks at women is how the whole nation is going to look at women. How that person may look at race is how you're gonna see how many people in that nation look at race. So if we call ourselves Christians, sons and daughters of the king, we should be a reflection of the king. Somebody say amen. 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 But are we? Jesus comes into a place to declare the kingdom, but he can't come into that place, and he can't come into a life without changing it, right? He's he's here to preach this gospel of the kingdom, and then he looks around at all the people, he's like, man, but you don't look like people of the kingdom. You look broken and weary and tired and isolated, but I'm your king. I'm not broken, I'm not weary, I'm not tired, and I'm definitely not isolated. I'm united and connected to my people. He says, I got to change you to prepare you for the kingdom. How many of us call ourselves sons and daughters of the king, but we don't look like citizens of the kingdom? We don't live like citizens of the kingdom. I think Jesus wants to talk about the kingdom, but his character and the character of the kingdom won't allow him to ignore the needs of his subjects. He can't just preach the gospel to us and tell us about the kingdom and then look at our lives and not want to bring change into them, not want to bring transformation into them. I see it as this, I love that Steve said he had this vision of, of the Lord wrapping his arms around, around him on his walk last night. I see what Jesus is doing here is like, he's coming, he's like, I got a message to preach, and I've got this, this gospel that I've got to tell you about, and this plan for eternity. But at the same time, he's like, man, but I have to do something about who you are right here, right now, and what you're dealing with, and what you're struggling with. And there's this collision that's taking place. <clears throat> As a pastor, I see this as one of the great challenges uh, facing the church, in my experience so far. I see uh, typically most people consider their circumstances way more important than the kingdom. If you ask the average everyday Christian, what's most important to you or what's going on or, or where is your focus? It's, it's about your circumstances, my family, my life, my job, my resources, right? Right? my plans, my purposes, my hopes, my desires, and the kingdom of God is not really a priority. Don't take that the wrong way. Do you come to church? Praise God for that. Do you have a Bible and read it from time to time? I hope so. Praise God for that. But if you really look at what drives you, it's not the kingdom. It's your own circumstances, your own life most of the time. And then there are those who maybe God has blessed your circumstances, or God has blessed your life, or maybe you've come out of that and and you're really focused on the kingdom and what can you do to advance the kingdom, but there's not a lot of compassion and care for other people. See, Jesus was able to do both. Somebody say amen. amen. He understood the kingdom. He had a message to preach. He was going to make sure that he made it to the cross, right? But at the same time, he wouldn't walk by somebody that was hungry. He wouldn't walk by somebody that was deaf or somebody that was blind without doing something about their situation or circumstances. Most of the time with Christians, it's one or the other. But I think we should be more like the king, right? In verse 37 and 38, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, listen, there's a great harvest out there. Like there's people who are ready for this. They're everywhere. It's not like you have to go and find them and search for them and they're going to be hidden. He says, they're everywhere. Everybody needs this and they're ready to be harvested. He says, what I need are people who will go out there into the harvest and preach the gospel to them. Not only preach the gospel, but bring the love of the king to them as well. How many want to sign up for that? He says the laborers are few. He says, we look and say, what, Monday? Men's fellowship? What? Next Friday, prayer service. The harvest is plentiful, church. The laborers are few. I'm already giving Sundays. I'm already giving Wednesdays. You want me to do more? You want me to go extra? You want me to bring? What did you say? Not only do I have to go on Monday, but I got to bring a brother with me. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is not go to church. The gospel of the kingdom is not say your prayers. The gospel of the kingdom is not wear a cross. It's your whole life. Somebody say amen. amen. I told you you going to be challenged this morning. We need to pray. <laughs> Lord, I pray for each and every person here in this place, Lord. I pray that the gospel of the kingdom would go forth this morning, Lord God, but also the love of the king would go forth this morning, Lord. You're capable of doing both, Lord, and you've empowered us to do both, Lord, to share your word, to share your plans, to share your gospel, Lord, but also to be carriers of your love and of your grace and of your mercy, Lord God. We do not want to be weary. We do not want to be scattered, Father. Energize us and strengthen us here in this place this morning, Lord, and unite us, Lord. Let us truly be subjects of the kingdom. Let us reflect our king. Let us reflect uh, the kingdom, Lord. Let us do it well. We need more of you. We need more of your word. We ask that your word would guide our lives and lead our lives, Lord, not our circumstances or, or our own uh, personal desires, Lord, that you would be first. Have your way over this message. Have your way with your word, Lord, Implant it deep into our hearts and into our minds this morning, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 So what is the gospel of the kingdom? It says that that's what he was preaching. That's what he was teaching. He's going around touching people and healing them and blessing their lives. But what is the actual gospel of the kingdom? This is John chapter 3, centered around verse 316. uh, But I'm going to start at verse 12. Jesus says, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved." After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. That's the gospel of the kingdom. I love that it says that they're already condemned. We were already condemned. We're not pointing the fingers. How many of us used to feel that way, that Christians are just condemning you all the time? They just want to tell you what's wrong with your life and how bad you are and what's wrong with you. Jesus says that he didn't come to condemn you, You're condemned already. We were all going to hell before we found Jesus. Somebody say amen. It's not his fault. <laughs> I think right here we get a framework of the gospel of the kingdom. In a compact few verses, 10 verses there in John chapter 3, we get all the major points. It says that he came out of heaven and he came down to earth. It says that he died, that we would have life, that if we believe in him, we have eternal life, that everybody is already condemned. And then it says at the end of that whole story, right, that Jesus began to preach this and then people are getting baptized. You know, watching Erica get baptized the other day, being a part of that was special. The people who have been baptized here in this church in the past, I was thinking about in preparing for this message that I love baptisms. I want to see more people get baptized. If you feel like you're ready to go all in with Jesus, you need to get baptized. You can go through the course afterwards. Jesus says this. He's telling everybody what it takes to get saved, and he says that he goes to this place and starts baptizing people. It shows that this understanding that their lives have been changed, that Jesus has saved them. Starts with sin, leads to salvation, ends with baptism. Having a good understanding of that framework of the gospel of the kingdom, I think it'll help you understand what Jesus is trying to tell us uh, in this next chapter this morning. I want to share a picture with you guys. Ray, can you put that first picture up from from the movie? (laughs) I went to see Black Rocky this weekend. (laughs) Me and Nate. Nate. It's Black Rocky, it's Creed, okay? <laughs> so it's a really good movie, and I began to think though, while I was watching, I couldn't even get to the end of the movie of, what makes a Rocky movie a Rocky movie? <clears throat> I realized that these movies are movies that are really about moments. Like you have all these emotional moments, like one after another, there's this moment, or there's this, this scene, this thing that, that happens. And this Rocky movie had all the moments that you could want, right? Nate is super into Rocky, I don't know how it happened to him, but he watches all the old ones all the time. He was begging me to go see this one, so we we went to see it. So with Rocky, the backdrop of the whole movie always is what? Boxing, right? That's the the framework for, for this thing. But in Rocky, there's birth, there's marriage, there's death, every Rocky movie has these references to Adrian, yo Adrian, right? This one had the Adrian moments, and he's going to the cemetery, and he's at her grave, and and all that kind of stuff. It had all the the powerful, typical Rocky moments. You have broken relationships in Rocky, right? And then there's always reconciliation, where they come back together. You have insurmountable odds. Remember, I don't know which one it was, when he was fighting the Russian back in the day, and this dude is huge, and there's no way Rocky could win. It's insurmountable. But what happens? Rocky wins. In this one, too, there's this insurmountable odds, and then there's miraculous victory so the gospel is the same way god has this prized possession which is mankind and the backdrop is all these all these life experiences that many of us have right there's birth there's marriage there's death there's references said it to adrian it's always about jesus There's broken relationships and reconciliation and healing. There's insurmountable odds. And then there's a miraculous victory, right? What are these stories ultimately about, though? Not to to be the spoiler, but they're love stories. (laughs) You don't think of Rocky as a love story, but watch any Rocky movie and you tell me what it's really about. It's not about boxing. It's a love story. It's the same thing with the gospel. It's a love story. And if we look at it the wrong way, we miss the whole point of the movie. We miss the whole point of the story right? You get into chapters like what we're looking at today, the gospel of the kingdom. And if you forget it's a love story, it becomes harsh. It becomes maybe for some of us too much to bear, too much to handle. But I hope that doesn't happen to you this morning. We're going to look at the love story of the gospel of the kingdom. Chapter 10, flip over not too far. I'm going to read through chapter 10, but I want you to keep that in mind that it's a love story. And Jesus is explaining what this gospel of the kingdom is about, that he's preaching says that he called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. The names of the 12 apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Provide neither gold, nor silver, nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire of it, in it who is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor, he, nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. And assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now bother or excuse me, now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents, and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword." For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds life or he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Deep breath. (laughs) Jesus has a lot to say about the kingdom and how things work and how things are going to go for us. The gospel of the kingdom is characterized by power and power with purpose. That's number one this morning. Power with purpose and power with direction. The first thing I see that Jesus is telling us in in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10, says he called the 12 disciples to him. And he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Even Judas Iscariot, that was going to betray him, he gave him power. He didn't say, Look, you're shady, and we all know you're shady. He says, You all belong to me. You all have a chance. You all have an opportunity to serve me and to keep serving me. And I'm going to give all of you power to be used to bless people. Last week, Raymond preached and he told us about the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus. This week, when you talk about the kingdom, Jesus says this, Not only do I have power and I have authority, but every servant of mine will have power and have authority. Think about that as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, listen, I call my disciples to me and then I give them power and authority. He's not just a dictator that rules with the, as the only one with power, the only one with authority, he says, all who belong to me, I give you power and I give you authority. In verse 5, he says, the twelve that Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So not only does he give them power, but he says this power works from the inside out, right? He doesn't say, you know, take this power and do whatever you want with it. Go wherever you want. He says, no, start at home. (laughs) Start with the children of Israel. Eventually, we'll go to the ends of the earth. We'll see the Samaritans. We'll see the Gentiles. But we're going to start from the inside and work our way out to others. Power and direction, not just power without boundaries. I think when we first hear that Jesus is going to give you power and he's going to give you authority, that's exciting. But then he says, but (laughs) I'm also going to give you some direction. I'm also going to give you some boundaries. I think the same is true for the church today. And I think the same has to happen in the church today that we have to understand that we have to start inside with the change and transformation that God wants to make. And then we can change our friends, family, neighbors. You know, I I love what you said, Connie. You said, man, there's still friends and family that I have that don't know Jesus. He's not their savior yet. And I want to make sure that I can continue to love them and continue to, to try to share God with them. But it has to start here first. We have to grow in the things of God. We have to be obedient to God. We have to walk in the power of God and in the authority of God. And then you can go out and do something in the world. When I start thinking about these life groups that we keep mentioning, I hope that it awakens strength in the church and in the people in the church and in our members. And eventually, I have no doubt that other lives will be changed and and people who don't know the Lord or don't want to go to church will begin to come to those places. But these are not outreach opportunities initially. We're not saying, let's go plant all these life groups so that we can reach all the neighbors. No, first, it's to strengthen those who are already here that are struggling and nobody knows that. That are having a hard time walking out these things. They can walk in and out of church with the best of them. But actually walking this stuff out on a daily and weekly basis is a struggle. We want to go and strengthen those people by meeting together. The same thing with the individual, right? It starts with the inside, your walk with God, your change by the power of God, right? On the inside, and then that stuff will reflect on the outside. I think it's a good time to remind us that Jesus is talking to disciples here. Discipleship is about power and direction. I got a couple of... pictures i want to share with you guys jesus jesus is called uh the vine he's called a lot of different things but these pictures here this is called trellis anybody know what trellis is no. oh, there's a couple of you good those that do for the rest of us that have no idea what it's called it's called trellis and what it's designed to do go to the next one ray it has this framework right that the vine is sup- supposed to grow around <laughs> it gives it what direction and it gives it boundaries it's not just a bush that's growing like crazy right it's not something that stays on the ground these this framework gives it direction go ahead ray to the to the next one right so initially I, I see these on people's house i'm like i don't understand what that is because there's no flowers on it right it doesn't look like it has a lot of purpose but then once the flowers start to grow and it takes a long long time before these things begin to look like this right but when you go back to the first one for me, Ray, when you first see this as a Christian, you're like, I don't like boundaries. I don't like, you know, uh, direction. See, Jesus is divine. Somebody say amen. amen. So he's the life and he's the flower and he's all the beauty. But this is the person that's discipling you. And you're like, man, you're rigid. <laughs> you're restricting me. There's no life in you. There's no love in you. All you are is hard, and you keep me from going to this place or going to that place and doing whatever I want to do. But later on, it's more beautiful than it would have been without that. You need the trellis and the vine. Somebody say amen. Amen. You know, a lot of people, when it comes to discipleship, it's very hard, and we want to break free of it. I I appreciate what Ray had to say, and I want to give you uh, one last example of, of why I think it's so important. So you don't see this when you're, when you're in the middle of it. right? It's not till later that you get to see what God was doing and what he was using to do what he's ultimately doing. The life all comes from Jesus, make no mistake about it. But this morning in the car on the way to church, there's this, uh, actually I have it here. I don't know where Mary got this from. Uh, it's a broke off piece of, of a flower arrangement and it's been in the car on the dashboard for a few days. And it was all green until this morning when we got in the car, and it has these pretty flowers that, that bloomed. And Naomi was like, wow, it, it bloomed. That's, that's amazing. Look at it. How did that happen? And she just completely made up some theory on, on how it happened. She's like, it's so cold in the car, and it's like wet on the car. And Nate's like, there's no water in the car. She's like, no, but the air was cold. And when the cold air hit, it turned into water. She made all this stuff up. <laughs> but it really made me focus on this thing, right? So... So I I've, I've seen it, it was all just green or whatever and then and then it blossoms. You know, discipleship is a lot like this. Listen. We feel restricted, we feel like we're not blossoming, we feel like we're not growing, we're not being all that we could be, and then many of us when we break away from that process like of people trying to, you know, go back to the first one, trying to restrict us, trying to give us boundaries, trying to hold us accountable and give direction into our lives, when we break away from that, a lot of times, you know what initially happens? We blossom like you've been gone for a couple days like this was broken away from whatever arrangement was a part of and then all of a sudden it blossoms and we're like see <laughs> i told you they were leading me wrong i told you they were trying to control me i told you i didn't need to listen to nobody i've got the vine but you know what happens when you break away from the trellis a lot of times you break away from the vine and even though you've blossomed you know what's going to happen it's going to die it's inevitable I hope you can understand i hope you can pick up what i'm putting down this morning the life comes from god make no mistake about it he is divine without him there's no vine there's no flower there's no nothing there's no life whatsoever you know why the only one aaron's rod that that budded that's in the uh in the ark of the covenant because he's the only one where life is within himself he doesn't have to be connected to anything otherwise we have to be connected to him to have any kind of life but I've seen so many people who have, who have broken away from the trellis, and initially it's like, oh man, we're so fruitful, and God is moving, and we're blossoming. But then death follows that, because you need both. You need the trellis and the vine. It looks rigid at first, but I love what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you power, I'm giving you authority, but then I'm also going to give you direction on how to use that power and how to use that authority. And he says, if you listen to me, life will continue to blossom. So that's number one. <clears throat> Part of that still, excuse me, verse 8, I think Jesus establishes that principle. And then he tells his disciples, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. All right. He's given them all that power and all that authority, but the power and the authority is not an ends in itself. He didn't tell his disciples, all right, now go out there and just start healing people and touching people and, man, what are you sick with? I'm going to heal that. What do you need? Let me give you those resources. What's wrong in your relationships? Let me fix that for you. Then I'm going go on to the next place. He says, no, listen, you're going to provide all this healing and all of this power and all this authority. Why? So that you can tell them the message of the gospel and they'll listen to it. Not just so we can have better lives. Somebody say amen. The gospel of the kingdom is not a prosperity gospel. It's not about having a better life. It's not about winning every game. It's not about fixing every relationship. It's not about having the best of everything there is out there. It has nothing really to do with any of that. The gospel of the kingdom is look at the power and the authority of God so that when he tells you there is eternity and how to get there, you'll listen. But what do we typically offer when we go out into the world? We say, man, Jesus will make your life better. Come to church with me wrong that might happen but it might not there's a whole bunch of people we just studied hebrews chapter 11 and it says they all died horrible deaths so they didn't get any of the promises because that's part of the gospel of the kingdom we need the whole story somebody say amen, amen. all these miracles jesus has power and authority over the storms over ailments and sickness right over the enemy, over death, over sin. But every miracle that he did, it it had a purpose in it. It wasn't just for the sake of doing a miracle. There was something he wanted to show and something he wanted to teach. I think when we look at our lives, we think that God's not quite as miraculous, but I think he is. If you look at your marriages, if you look at your families, if you look at the fact that you have a job, that you could get here, that you have clothes, that you have resources, right? I think those are all miracles of God still happening today, but we should also be looking for the greater purpose in those things. He says, freely you've received, so freely give to others. So power, authority, direction as well. Number two, subjects provide for the servants and the services in the kingdom. Subjects provide for the servants and the services in the kingdom. Verse 9 Jesus tells the disciples when he gets ready to send them out, he says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Whatever city or town you enter, inquire in it who is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet Assuredly, i say to you you will be more tolerable for the land of sodom and gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city one thing i love about this church is that it's full of volunteers who are willing to serve other people without concern for recognition or salary i think it's beautiful everybody who's doing something here is a volunteer like i just want to do something i want to help i want to bless I don't need to have uh, recognition. I don't have to be told, you know, thank you or look at so-and-so. We just do it. I hope that as the pastor, people know that I'm uh, definitely willing to work and provide for my family and to invest into this ministry. I'm just like everybody else. I'm a part of this church, uh, not just the pastor of this church. Amen. However, <laughs> one of the biggest fears that we have as we move away from our Wednesday night services next year uh, that keeps coming up is hey do you think giving's gonna go down think about it you're only gonna be here on Sundays not Wednesdays nobody's gonna be telling you to give what happens if you miss a Sunday now it's been at least two weeks since you've been with the church been with the family man giving's gonna go down Obviously, we're not so afraid that we're going to choose not to do what God tells us that we need to do, right? (laughs) But I think we should take it a step further. As a congregation, I think we should be able to support the ministry. I think we should be able to support the ministers, and we should be giving more, not less, as time goes on. We shouldn't be looking at life groups and saying, oh, no, people aren't going to give. Oh, no. People aren't going to show up with actual food to the pollock. They're just going to come and take from other people. That means you haven't listened to the gospel at all the whole time you've been here. If we have to be worried that people are going to give less just because they're not here, that means they have not understood the gospel. It means that they weren't invested when they were here. They were coming to take and not to give to begin with. Amen. The scriptures tell us that the subjects of the kingdom support the servants of the king. He told them, listen, you're going to go out there with power and authority. You're going to go out there with the greatest message and the love of God. He says, don't take anything because my people will take care of you when you get there. Right. Amen. They will understand what you came to bring them and they will make sure that you don't have a need. Why not us? Why do we look at other churches and say, why do they own buildings and why do they have pastors and leaders who are full time? But why not us? Is there something better about their gospel? Is there something better about their God? Is there something better about their people? Jesus says, if you don't receive that word, when you go into a place, if they don't receive that word and they don't serve my servants, he says, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for them. It's not my gospel, church. It's his gospel. And it ain't hate. You guys know I got nothing but love for you. I've been here for 10 years and I'm going to stay here no matter what happens. But the gospel is the gospel. Do we wanna live the gospel? You heard Gary say it. I can listen to my mom who tells me, just give what's in your heart or give what you can afford. Or I can listen to God who says, the 10th is holy and it belongs to me. And on top of that, you should have an offering ready when you come into my house. I think there's greater things ahead, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really scared. When I say that it's a fear, it's just the reality that one of the another reason why I don't deal with the finances in this church. When I look around, I don't see little little dollar signs over your head, right? Oh, that person has a big one. They give a lot. <laughs> that person is in the negative. There's just a minus sign right there. They don't ever give. Don't be mad at me. Jesus talked about it a lot. What would it be like if the, if the uh, life group leaders are coming to me saying, man, we have more than enough. People show up and they give. People show up with food. People show up and they, they say, hey, can we give our tithe and our offering this week? Because we don't want to wait till Sunday to give it. Amen. I got to move on, otherwise I'll stay here for a long time. Should we be worried about that kind of stuff after 10 years, church? <clears throat> okay, I'm just checking. Number three, it's dark and hell is hot. (laughs) That's the title of a DMX album from the 90s. (laughs) But it is exactly what I thought about when I read this uh, middle portion of of our scriptures this morning. From verse 16, trying to get my, uh, there it goes, to move for us here. From 16, I'm going to read down to... uh, 31. He's talking about the kingdom, the power and the authority, right? Then he's talking about provision and how to, uh, how the subjects are going to take care of the kingdom. He's not a king that like you hit the lottery and everything's done. He says, listen, you're my subjects. You guys support the, the services. You support the service. You guys are the kingdom. Then he says in verse 16 through verse 31, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. but he who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who, him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground, apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. Excuse me, guys. Jesus says, I send you out into the harvest, but you're like sheep amongst wolves. What a leader. Your family, your friends are gonna betray you. The people you depend on the most are gonna walk out on you. You're gonna find yourself in desperate situations. and I'm not gonna fix them all for you. He says, just trust me. My spirit will live inside of you. I'll give you peace. I will also give you the words to say when you find yourself in these situations. He says, don't be afraid, just let your light shine. He didn't say these exact words, but I feel like he's saying, I know it's dark and hell is hot, but I'm with you. It's dark, but you have the light. It's like hell out there, but you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the enemy with the love of God. I wonder what it was like if you read through the scriptures where these people are huddled together in these small congregations, these small house churches, and everybody's trying to kill them. The church is trying to kill them. The enemy is trying to kill them. They keep being sent out as sheep amongst wolves. They get ravished, and then they come back to the house bloodied, broken, bruised, right? And what do they do when they get there? The people who are in the house, they heal them up. Amen. They tend to all their wounds. They love on them and encourage them that they've done the right thing. And then you know what they do? They send them right back out. (laughs) If you're here this morning and and you've been sent out to do something from God and you've gotten bloodied and bruised and hurt and abandoned and mistreated, uh, the church is here to, to love you and heal you, but also to send you right back out as sheep among wolves. They were supporting the ministry. They were sending the ministry, uh, the ministers out, the apostles out. They were praying people out of prison. They were coming to them when they were in hiding. And these small groups of people uh, were blessing the whole church of God at that time. It's dark out there in the world. To me, this is is the light of the world. When we get to come to church, when we get to fellowship together, when we get to have our youth go off to places, and we get to pray for people and see them baptized, it's amazing. But as soon as you go back out into the world, you realize it's dark out there. You realize it's hard out there. But this is the gospel of the kingdom. The story's not over yet. The last one this morning is one king and one kingdom. Jesus says this, if you confess, confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I'll deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says there's one king and one kingdom. You don't get to choose multiple kings, multiple kingdoms. You can't have yours and mine. He says it's me and nothing else or everything else besides me. He says you have to make a choice. We have to be willing to give up everything and everyone for the king and for entrance into the kingdom. He promises that whatever we lose, we will it'll be far outweighed by what we gain, but he's not naive and he doesn't try to sugarcoat it, he says, "But it still costs you everything." How much you love those kids? Me first. How much you love your spouse? Me first. How much you love your family and your friends? Me first. He says, if you don't take up your cross and follow him, you're not worthy of him. These are like strong, harsh words. Somebody say amen. Amen. And we don't like to hear them. We don't like to speak of the people, but we need to tell the truth. And we have to be willing to lose everything if we're gonna gain Christ. I know a a young lady, a young woman, that this Thanksgiving decided not to, to do the family thing And it wasn't just like, you know how some of us get all uh, selfish and drama at the holidays and we don't wanna do stuff for people? It wasn't like that, like, she's been going through some things or some other areas of her life where the same thing is happening where it's like, God is, this is my opinion from what I see. I feel like God was, was saying to her, you gotta choose. You know? Is it gonna be me? Am I gonna rule, am I gonna be the king, me, and my kingdom, or is it gonna be you and yours and your family and what you've always done? Or are you gonna separate yourself? Are you gonna make a decision? And I was really proud of, of her for, for making that decision multiple times, but specifically this time over Thanksgiving, just saying, you know what? I don't wanna be there. This isn't the year for me. This isn't the season for me. This is the time where I'm making clear lines that, that uh, Jesus is my king. <laughs> and I'm a subject of his kingdom. Amen. I'm not gonna dine at that table. I'll be dining at another table. I was so blessed by, by her decision. And it reminded me, it, it made me think with this message about a heart-shaped, or excuse me, a cross-shaped trellis. All right? Think about that for a second. Jesus says, you gotta take up your cross and follow me. You have to deny yourself. So you see all those trellises, right? And we have these beautiful designs and archways and flowers, but what about a heart-shaped, or excuse me, a cross-shaped one? Where you're like, look, Lord, it's empty without you, and you're gonna have to build the life in this thing. I'm going to take up my cross. Whatever else I lost, whatever else I was building, whatever else I thought was growing that was going to last, I put that all to the side. I choose you. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm not going to deny you. And whatever life I end up with, it'll be the life that you build for me. It'll be what grows from my decision to follow you. So the gospel of the kingdom is a love story. Isaiah, why don't you come? In a second here, we're going to have worship. We're going to have prayer. We're going to have some communion. But this love story of the gospel of the kingdom is characterized by power, purpose, and direction, just like our King Jesus is. As subjects of this kingdom, are you characterized by the power of God? Are you focused on the purpose of God? Are you uh, overflowing with the love of God? Is that what people see in you? Is that what people feel from you? Is that what people hear from you? In his kingdom, the subjects provide for the servants. In his kingdom, the subjects provide for the services. And they love to do it. <laughs> I heard it in the offering this morning. I heard it as, we, as I was sharing about what the servants do in the kingdom. But I thought about it. We should love it. Yes. Like giving shouldn't be something that hurts. Giving to not be something that we don't like to do or that bothers us, or we wish it wasn't that way in the kingdom. We should love it. We should love to give. We should love to provide. Those of us that have been in other places of the world, I'll be honest with you. I love paying taxes. Because <laughs> I love the roads we have. I love the fact that when you call the police, they come. I love the fact that even though there's fires, there's firemen. (laughs) I love the fact that there's street lights that tell people when to go and when to stop. All that comes, you know why? Because we give into the kingdom. How many of us realize with the kingdom of God, when we give, we give into the kingdom? I love to see people get baptized. You know where that comes from? Because there's churches that I've given into. I love to see people get saved and have their marriages restored, their kids go in another direction, see families, whole families get saved and redirected. You know why that happens? It's because there are people who give into the kingdom. Okay. The kingdom is expanding. It's accepting immigrants. <laughs> Jesus says you start at home, you start with the Jews, you start with your own individual life, and you grow and you change and you have the power and the love of God. Just change your life, but then it expands. He says the reason why it's still dark and the reason why you still feel the presence of darkness and hell and negativity and and, uh, betrayal, he says because the kingdom is expanding, we're still accepting immigrants. But it's not the end of the story. He says, don't be discouraged, keep going. And then finally in this love story he says, there's only one king and one kingdom. This one's gonna remain to the end, it's gonna outlast all others. All other kingdoms are gonna fall and fade, but his is going to endure. We serve a good king. He says, I give you a choice. Why don't you just bow your heads real quick. Close your eyes. I want you to think about Judas. What kind of king gives that guy a choice? He says, I'm going to give you the power and authority. (laughs) I'm going to let you choose to serve me and to follow me to stay connected to the vine, to stay within the boundaries and the trellis, or I'm gonna allow you to go do whatever you wanna do. Be your own king, serve other kings, go after resources, take my power and use it in ways it's not intended to be used, but I love you enough to give you a choice. He says, but if you deny me, I'm going to deny you before my Father in heaven. You will not be allowed to enter into the gates of heaven. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision about Jesus, choosing Him to be the one and only King, choosing the kingdom of heaven to be the one and only kingdom. That's what the gospel of the kingdom is about. All the power and all the authority, all the healing, all the change and transformation you hear us talking about. And God's gonna do this, he's gonna restore that. Many of those things will begin to take place in your life. And you've seen it in the lives of others, but it's been for one reason, so that you could understand salvation. You could understand the purpose and plan that God has for your life. It goes well beyond this year and this season and this life and into the next season and the next life. He's building something that only he can really show you about. And he wants to. He says he'll come and live inside of you. He said that you won't even have to worry about what to say. He'll speak in you and speak through you. He says, but he came with a sword to bring division. You can't keep your old life. Even if you end up at odds with family and friends, parents and kids, spouses, he says you still have to choose if it's gonna be me or yourself or others. So if you've never done that, I wanna give you a chance. If you wanna choose him today, would you just raise your hand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The gospel of the kingdom says there's no other options. It's him or it's it's ultimate death. Hallelujah, Lord. For everybody else, I wanna talk to the subjects of the kingdom. If you're here and you're already saved, I'm gonna open the altar, we're gonna open communion, but here's the ones that I wanna pray for. I'll ask the prayer team to come and pray with you as well. If you're a subject of the kingdom, and you want a greater understanding of the gospel of the kingdom, we want to pray for you. If you're a subject of the kingdom, and you want to be moved with compassion like the king, where you can't walk by somebody in need, you can't overlook other people who are struggling, we want to pray for you. If you're a subject of the kingdom, and you want to be characterized by the power of God, the same way that he said to his disciples, I give you power, I give you authority to do these things. You know, power under restraint is meekness, but being weak because you don't understand the power of God, that's not meekness and that's not humility, that's a lack of understanding. If you want understanding, if you want the power of God, we want to pray for you this morning that you would wield it the way that he would have you to with direction. And then finally, those who are subjects of the kingdom, but you want prayer to have joy and honor to provide for the servants and to provide for the services, we wanna pray for you. Lord, we thank you this morning that you preach the gospel of the kingdom, that it was more than just power, it was more than just healing, it was more than just a better life, Lord, It was an understanding of eternity. It was an understanding of salvation. We thank you that you set the boundaries. We thank you that you've given us the process and the plan, Lord, and the direction. This morning, I ask that you would meet your sons, that you would meet your daughters, Lord God, that we would understand what it means to be subjects of that kingdom, to walk in your authority, to walk in your power, to be given direction and to be given boundaries, Lord God. I pray that we would stay connected to the vine, Lord God but that we would also value the trellis. I ask that you would just right now in this moment and in this season, impart joy in the area of giving, Lord God. Giving for the work of the kingdom, giving for the servants of the kingdom, Lord God. Mm. That we wouldn't wait till next year, Lord, That we would never be in a position, Lord, of not enough, Lord. You've given us more than enough. You've given us all that you had, Lord. Let us be like you and give all that we have, Lord. You'll meet our needs, you'll continue to provide for us, Lord. You're a good king. Have your way, Lord. We ask that you would bless this time of communion, Lord, that we would remember your body broken for us, your blood spilled for us, Lord. That we could enter into this kingdom. Have your way with your people, with your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Altars are open. Communion is open. Prayer is available. If you need prayer, somebody will pray with you. You can tell them what your need is this morning. Hallelujah, Lord. I was nowhere you came to my rescue From the grave I've been raised when I needed a savior to save me. Jesus, you made a way. I was blind, but these eyes have been open. Now I walk in the light. Every step on this road, I will follow Jesus, you made a way. You are the way. You are the way. Thank you for listening.